Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors and uh, part of our preaching team. And uh, for those of you joining us online, it's good to have you uh, with us as well. Um, Have you been thinking more than normal about the rest of the world? I have. (laughs) Part of it is I just got back uh, on Monday from a two-week trip uh, to the other side of the world, went to Turkey. Uh, We had planned to go to Moldova, um, but it's right next to Ukraine, and so when the war broke out, our Moldova plans were scrapped. Uh, Airspace was closed, and then closed the trip by going into East Germany. And so naturally, when you're on the other side of the world, you're thinking more about the rest of the world, but I think everyone even here, we're thinking more about the rest of the world, aren't we? As we watch what's going on in Ukraine, you realize it's not just cyber war, it's not just economic war, it's war war, bombs and bullets war. And the whole thing just sort of makes us sort of reflect and go, man, what, what in the world, what in the world is going on? We missed you uh, on our trip. Uh, we tuned in from the live stream. We've got a photo of us uh, watching the live stream a few weeks back. Uh, this was right after the war had broken out in Ukraine, and we knew that there would be a time in the service where uh, we would pray. And so we joined you, actually, a few moments after this. We were standing there waiting for the subway to come, standing on the platform and, and praying with you about what's going on in Ukraine. And we missed you a bunch. And so here's what I'm going to do today is we're going to take a break from our study of John's gospel. Uh, believe it or not, we will finish it someday, okay? Uh, we'll finish it actually before Easter, so it's coming quick. Um, but today we're going to take a break from that, and I just want to reflect a bit on our place in God's world. So here's kind of what we're going to do. A lot of you have been asking about how we can help in Ukraine, so I want to share about that. Um, and then I want to just give you kind of an overview of what we did on our trip, uh, and why we did it, and what it was about. And then I really want to kind of camp on the big takeaway from being in Turkey and Germany Uh, That's what we're going to do. So uh, first, how we're helping in Ukraine. A lot of you have asked. We've gotten lots of questions as pastors and staff. Hey, is there anything we can do? Are there any ways we can give? Uh, What do we do? And so I want to tell you about a couple things that are going on. Uh, One of the members of our church is Valentina Kelly. She's been a member since almost the very beginning of the church. I think actually her and Mike's wedding day was the day our church launched. And then maybe two Sundays later, they showed up, and they've been part of the church uh, for 13 years ever since. Well, she's from Ukraine originally and still has a bunch of family in Ukraine who's stuck there, Uh, some of them who are elderly and really unable to really get out, and they're just kind of staying put and hoping for the best. And so you can just imagine what the last few weeks have been like for her as she's tried to be in touch with family and friends and lots of other things. Plus, here, she's everyone's only Ukrainian friend right? So like lots of people are reaching out, which means a lot, but also gets overwhelming. Anyway, God has opened a door for her to be able to go uh, next week to Poland. She's going to get on a plane and head to Poland. And since she speaks Ukrainian and she's a believer, she's partnered up with some Church of the Nazarene folks and is going to be there to try to help welcome refugees uh, who are fleeing Ukraine, care for them, bless them, share the gospel with them, uh, meet practical needs. She's going to be able to do that. And so um, one of the things that we asked her, we kind of said, hey, there's some various ways we could help and support as a church. We want to come alongside you doing this. And, and she said, well, here's what would be really cool. And so here's actually what's happening today in our kids' ministry. In our kids' ministry today, um, all the kids are making uh, postcards. They're drawing and writing notes that are going to be given to the children that Val encounters when she's over there. 
And so that's just a practical way to, to show some of the love and support that we uh, have for them. So she's going next week. Uh, we're sending that, uh, that package of, of stuff for the kids. Um, but we want to give you an opportunity if you want to. This is no, pre- no low pressure. No, but if you're like, hey, I want to give to something, uh, then we want to give you an opportunity to give. So we've set up a Help Ukraine fund. And essentially what it's going to go to is part of it's going to go to help support Val's trip, to support the uh, financial costs of that. Uh, some of it is going to go to help support one of our partners uh, who had been in Turkey. His name's Hakan. He's now in Moldova. He got kicked out of Turkey. And so he's who we were going to visit in Moldova. And so he's now going every day to the border. And he's, he speaks Turkish. He doesn't speak Ukrainian or Russian, but he speaks Turkish. So he's going and finding Turks who are fleeing Ukraine. And he's sharing the love of Jesus with them. So we're going to help support him in that effort uh, even more. And then there's an organization called One Hope Ukraine uh, that we have some connections to and some uh, relationship with that we just believe they're doing great stuff, especially to help serve and care for children. And uh, so we're going to uh, give whatever the kind of balance is toward, toward that. So if you'd like to be part of it, if you'd like to give, you can uh, use that QR code to do so. But that's how we're trying to help. And, and I do hope that you'll just continue to pray uh, that God's will would be done and his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And so let's take a moment even now. Let's pray for Val and uh, this need. Father, um, we can mostly only imagine. But Lord, when, uh, when things that are far away just stay far away, it's, it's hard to feel real moved. But when we know people who are affected, it's, it's a different thing. And so God, we pray for Val and for Mike and for their kids. God, we pray for their family members that are still in Ukraine, that they'd be kept safe and if possible, be able to get out. Um, God, we pray for her trip coming up and pray that she would, um, even as she navigates her own pain and challenges and anger and grief, God, that you would use her in the midst of it to be able to offer hope to people who really need it. Um, God, we pray that you would open doors of opportunity that she doesn't even know about right now and uh, that you would go before her in that trip. We pray too for Hakan. Thank you for the work that he's doing to welcome uh, Turks who are fleeing that situation as well. And God, thank you for one hope for the work that they are doing and for so many others who are um, trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus. God, we, um, we have little confidence in governments. We have little confidence in those powers and principalities. We have a lot of confidence in people who are filled with your spirit. And so, God, we're excited to be able to partner with them, and we pray that you would bless their efforts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so that's part one, how we're helping in Ukraine. Second part, let me just tell you a little bit about our trip. So we took a team. There were six of us uh, on the team. Uh, on, starting on the right is Mark Burns. Mark is our pastor of community and global initiatives. Um, and so uh, until like about two years ago, he spent the previous 15 years in Turkey and was working there as a pastor and a church planner, sharing the gospel with people, being very open about his faith. Uh, the Lord brought him uh, back to Arizona where he's originally from. And so he's now part of our church staff team. So he was kind of leading the trip. It was great to have someone who could actually speak the language. Language. Um, but it was funny because, because he spoke the language, we thought he also knew everything about everything. So, you know, we barraged him with lots of questions. So that was Mark. Uh, next to him is Arnold. Arnold's our high school pastor, and it was great for him to be able to have this experience. Next to Arnold is Mike and Nikki Reeves. Mike is one of our lay elders, and Nikki, you recognize probably, she's one of our worship leaders, and uh, they were just a tremendous uh, blessing, a lot of fun. Mike got a lot of attention with that beard, that, you know, beard thing he's got going. People, uh, people noticed that, you know, so uh, 
that was kind of fun. And then next to Nikki is my oldest daughter, Abby. Abby's 15, and um, she wasn't going to be part of the trip, but for Christmas, Molly and I paid for her to be part of the trip. So it was fun for her to be able to join me. This is her first time out of North America, and uh, really just a great and eye-opening experience and wonderful to share that with her. It was really, that was really special. And then that good-looking guy on the left, will you recognize him? So here we are in front of the library at Ephesus. That's kind of where we are. And uh, let me tell you kind of why we were there. We were there really to encourage the partners we have. Our focus in terms of kind of overseas missions has been really in Turkey. Turkey's a country with about 80 million people and about 8,000 Christians. That's not very many. And so we're trying to support uh, work there to help people uh, meet Christ and uh, enjoy Him forever. Uh, Turkey is a place that's relatively open Uh, compared to many other places in the Muslim world, and so it's a great place to be able to partner. And so some of the partners that we connected with, the first one is uh, Bilge. Uh, Bilge is the pastor of Istanbul City Church, would be the name of it in English. Um, And Bilge's a really interesting dude. He is Turkish, but he grew up in Germany. He's got a PhD in physics. He actually created this laser that everyone all over the world uses in, in, like, forecasting weather. He was able to figure out how to, they used, I wasn't planning to say this, but it's just really interesting, I think. So, you know, the way they used to forecast weather was they would just beam lasers up to the atmosphere. And they said, well, it'd be great if we could beam them up and down. Well, he figured out how to make the laser to beam down from satellites. I said, so your whole ministry is funded with the royalties of this, right? He said, no, I, don't, I didn't get a cent. So he's a, he's a PhD physics guy. He's also a classically trained guitar player. And now he's planting this church in this part of Istanbul that uh, Josh Watt described as if New York City and Seattle had a Muslim baby, it would be this uh, neighborhood. And so it's this really interesting place because there's lots of young people. They're very intrigued by people from other cultures. Um, This is not kind of like the hardcore Muslim, uh, you know, place like other parts of Turkey. But what it is, is a lot of kind of secular sort of post-Islamic people, people who've kind of walked away from their Muslim faith and traditions, at least in terms of, of faith, they still hold on to some of the cultural dynamics, and they're there kind of trying to figure out what it looks like to be a young professional in this place. And so uh, Bilge has just had some incredible uh, fruit. Their church is probably about uh, 40 or 50 people, which is a huge church in Turkey. So that's Bilge. One of the people we met uh, that's part of his church as well, um, you can go back, uh, well, it doesn't matter, I'll talk about him in a minute, but we met another guy that's part of Bilge's church that uh, I just thought this was cool. He, his name was Harold. He started a coffee shop just as a business, went there and said, you know what, I'm going to start this business. I'm going to see if it can become profitable. And along the way, I'm going to use uh, that business as a place for me to be able to talk about my faith and share my faith and uh, share about Jesus. And he was just a really incredible guy to get to talk to. Uh, Next is uh, one of the folks that's part of the foundation that we're connected to. His name's Emre. Uh, There, second from the right. There's a foundation there, the Istanbul Protestant Church Foundation, uh, that really is like redemption. It's kind of one church in 10 locations across Turkey. And um, much, much smaller. I think if you got the whole attendance of all 10 of their congregations, it would be less than the attendance of maybe this service. Um, but still, they're working together, and so we're kind of exploring partnership with them. Emre was a cool guy. He has started this internet radio station, and they're getting the gospel out uh, to people online and uh, in his uh, new church plant and that sort of stuff, so that was pretty cool. Uh, We also had a chance to 
go to Zungledoc, which is kind of up by the Black Sea. This is the area where Mark and his family lived and where for the last few years he was pastoring a church that was made up of Iranian refugees. And so we got there and it was like the Apostle Paul had showed up. I mean, they were so, so, so excited to see him. And they actually gave him this plaque. Uh, They honored him with this plaque, which I love that because they knew he would hate it. Like they just knew that giving him this attention and this honor would make him feel wildly uncomfortable and yet it was very appropriate because for the last few years, uh, get this, these folks all speak Farsi. Mark speaks English and Turkish, but he learned worship songs in Farsi so that he could lead worship for them. I mean, that's love, right? And so for them to, for us to just be able to see how much they really, really loved Mark and his family and then for Mark to be able to see, hey, this church is actually doing well without him was really, really encouraging. So that was cool. Um, We didn't, as I said, get to visit Hakan. uh, So we had to have a conversation with him and his family over Zoom, Um, tried our best to pray for them and love them and encourage them, but, uh, you know, regretted the opportunity that we didn't have the opportunity to uh, visit them in Moldova. Things are getting more and more dangerous uh, there as well. So, so that was kind of our turkey part. And then basically everybody except Mark and I, uh, they all came home. And then we took a couple extra days, Mark and I did, and went to Leipzig, which is in East Germany. Um, it's a part that was right in the heart of the Protestant Reformation, but then was kind of behind the wall and part of the GDR and was really kind of uh, significantly overrun by communism. And so there's a church planner that I've been coaching for the last three or four years there. His name's Andre. And uh, there's a picture here of Andre and I in front of the door in Wittenberg where Luther nailed his 95 theses. And uh, it was just cool to be able to see this guy that is doing really incredible gospel work and to be able to um, encourage him and, and bless him. And, and we got to do some sightseeing. So we went to Ephesus. You know, Ephesus really inspired us to do some deep thinking. We were sitting there outside Ephesus going, hmm, what is the point of the universe? We were wondering about that. Another cool thing in Ephesus is the Apostle John is buried in Ephesus. And that was a really moving moment to stand there and pray and thank the Lord, right? We've been studying this book that this man wrote and to thank the Lord for him and to be able to picture the place where when the resurrection happens, that's where he's coming up. I thought that was pretty fun. We also just, you encounter all this history. I mean, Turkey was like the place where tons of the New Testament happens and then lots of early church history happens. So like there's this one day where Bill Gates is just walking us through uh, this old part of Istanbul and he's like, hey, do you guys want to see the church where the Council of, Ch- of Chalcedon happened? We're like, what? Yes, we want to see that. And so we just walk by and here's this church and this is this church where in 451, uh, it was an ecumenical council, people from east and west all over the place came together and they nailed down absolutely that Jesus was in fact divine. They recognized that, they affirmed that. And you're just walking by like, oh yeah, there's the place where that happened, like good night. Walked around old Istanbul, saw the kind of uh, palace of the old Ottoman Empire, got to see that. And then, uh, as I said, being in East Germany, this was kind of the heart of the Reformation, got to see the the Wittenberg door. Um, And uh, you'll notice that that's not wood anymore. (laughs) They made it metal, and they actually engraved it with the 95 Theses. This is where Martin Luther, uh, you know, started the Protestant Reformation. He saw this corruption in the Roman church, and he said, it's got to stop. And, and so I got to see some of that stuff. So we weren't there for sightseeing, but when you're in a place like that, you do some sightseeing. And um, overall, it was a very, uh, very good trip, and it was great to connect with people and great to learn from them. And um, 
you know, one of the things that we really believe in strongly is we don't just want to support people. We want to be in partnership with people. And in partnership, you give and you receive. And so what I want to kind of do for the rest of our time is, is share kind of a, a big takeaway of what I, think, what I think those churches are giving to us if we'll receive it. Right? We're giving them encouragement. We're giving them coaching. We're giving them financial resources. And I think they're giving us something that we really need to see if we'll have eyes to see it. So here's the big takeaway. Ephesus, Istanbul, used to be called Constantinople, Wittenberg. These are all places that were the pulsing, raging heartbeat of Christianity. And now there's barely a pulse. What these churches are giving us, if we'll receive it, is a picture of our future. And so here's what I, I feel like I've been beamed in from the future. Knowing I'm from the future. You're like, wow, you're dressed more normal. I thought you were supposed to wear silver clothes. I, no, 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 this is, I'm from the future. And here's what I've seen, is a, a place, places, multiple places, where Christian influence is lower than it's ever been. And I wanna tell you, friends, that's where we're headed to. And so this is a sober takeaway. This is a sober reflection. It is hopeful, but it's sober. I've seen the future. And, and you can see it if you pay attention to any of the research. More and more and more people in the United States of America are identifying themselves as nuns, not Sister Act nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns, none. Like, what do you affiliate with as a religion? None, nothing. Right, for a long time, people would at least say nominally, in name only, I'm a Christian. They're not even saying that now. They're just saying, I'm none, I'm nothing. And this is especially true among younger generations, among our kids and our grandkids, is there is just this reality that the, the days of vibrant Christian America, if they ever were there at all, they're ending. Especially, now, now this is key, especially among what a lot of us are is white evangelicals. It's a different story in minority environments. It's a different story in South America. It's a different story in Africa. It's a different story in Asia. But in the West, and especially in kind of white evangelical environments, the days of Christian influence are in the rearview mirror. We were talking one day with Bill Gay about uh, just what it's like to try to reach Muslims. And again, a lot of his people aren't hardcore Muslims. They're people who've kind of walked away from Islam, but it's still sort of hard for them to become Christians. And we were saying, well, why is that? And he said, well, here's the thing you gotta understand is in the Islam tradition, you know, Abraham, David, Moses, Jesus, these are all prophets. They're all revered. They're all uh, respected. And the idea is that in Islam, Muhammad came along to be the last word, right? It's not that these are all bad, it's that these were all fine, but we need something even better. And so for people to say, well, okay, I have, here's what he said. He said, it'd be like someone saying, well, I have an iPhone 13. Why would I get a Motorola flip phone? I've got the new improved thing. Why would I go back to that? 
and it hit me. You don't have to be Muslim to have that way of thinking. That's what all kinds of people in East Germany who were oppressed by communism, where it's so post-Christian that it's almost pre-Christian, but they're still going, we have the enlightenment, we have science, we have technology. Why would we go back to Christianity? Right? This is what people in every major city in the U.S., including our city, this is what people who are young are growing up thinking is, well, we have enlightenment now, and we have technology and education and science, and we have all this progress. Why would we go back to that? And so that's our future. It's actually our present. But it's really our future. And so the question is, what will we do if we're, gonna, if we're gonna, in partnership, learn from these folks who are, they are where we're going, what are our options? Well, I think there's at least four options. The first option is this, is to bunker down and seclude ourselves. And that's an option some people are taking. We would walk around Istanbul and we would see some Orthodox churches, uh, Greek Orthodox, Armenian Orthodox, and, and they would literally be chained shut. Bill Gates said, yeah, I've been here for six years. I've never been in that building because it's always locked. That's one option. You know what? We're going to huddle up. We're going to get our faithful, and we're going to shield ourselves from this rotten, terrible world. Let's seclude ourselves. That's one choice. I don't want to do that. The second one is that we could just deny reality and coast off of Christendom. right? Because I know some of you right now are going, come on, Luke. It's not that bad. It's not that bad here. Like, like, I can still invite my friends to church and they're open to it. And I would go, yes, you're right. And that's great and praise God. But that's not gonna last forever. And so sometimes what we can do is just sort of coast off of Christendom. We, we live in this reality where there's been enough Christianity in America, regardless of how Christian or not Christian you think America's history is, there's been enough Christianity in it to where when people hit hard times here, they're still sometimes gonna go, maybe I should check out church. But more and more, here's what I'm telling you, the day is coming when that is not gonna cross their mind. Nobody wakes up in Istanbul, hungover, and says, maybe I'll try church. Now, here's why it's easy to deny it, is because like a church like ours, we're growing. We're growing like crazy. And, and, and some of that growth is with baptisms, but you know why we're growing? Because people are sick of living in Seattle and Portland and California. That's why. I mean, we got 75, 80 people in each of our last rooted classes, and probably three quarters of them are from those three states. Now listen, if you're from those three states, Arizona's a great place to be. I'm glad you're here. You made it out. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, right? And I'm glad that we can be a place to help nurture your faith and nurture your, but, but listen, we can deceive ourselves into thinking we're having a lot of impact when we're growing, when our growth is really just people who are already Christians deciding to come here. And praise God for the dozens of people who've been baptized this year. And over this last few months, like, I praise God for that. But man, this whole thing makes me hungry for more of that. And I don't want to just go, well, it's not that bad, because it's going to get bad. Here's a third option. 
Third option, figure out my numbers, third option, is we could use political power to take back the country. That's a tempting one. Well, you know what we need to do? We just need to get Christians in there, and we need to vote them in, and we need to get the right elected people. We need to get the right judges. We need to get the right stuff. And here's the thing. If you have an opportunity to vote for people that you think will have a good influence on the morality of our country, do it. I'm not saying don't do that. But if you're depending on political power taking the country back, you're forgetting the problem. What was one of the main problems in a place like Constantinople, in a place like Germany? It was the church being wedded to political power. When the church was on the run, when the church was persecuted, when the church was not in vogue, it was absolutely growing through real spiritual life. And then the church gets in bed with power. And now you kind of can't tell the difference between true faith and showy faith. We, we don't want to do that. So here's the fourth option. And this is what we saw in the people that we encountered. This is what we saw in the people we met with and spent time with. And this is what I think, if we're willing to hear it, this is their part of the partnership giving back to us, is here's our fourth option, is to become a faithful remnant of missionary disciples. To become a faithful remnant of missionary disciples, we could call it sheep among wolves. That's what we saw in these churches. We saw that they were vibrant, that they were alive, that they were impactful. Their impact was small. And it was in the ones and the tens, not in the hundreds and the thousands, but it was real and it was alive. And we can still be a faithful remnant of missionary people. But we have to realize something is that we are sheep among wolves. We get this from Matthew chapter 10. If you have your Bible still open, uh, look at it with me in verse 16. Jesus says, behold, as he's sending his disciples out, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So how do we become a faithful missionary remnant? I have three ideas. The first one is this, expect to be marginalized and be ready to suffer. What we saw in these churches that we're connected to are people who expect to be marginalized and are ready to suffer. They've taken to heart what Jesus said. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Seth and I talk about this. We've talked about this privately. I think he's mentioned it from the front, but it's just interesting. And if you have one of these shirts, no offense to you, but there's just lots and lots of shirts out there that say lions, not sheep. You know the shirt I haven't seen yet? Sheep among wolves with a dead sheep. I haven't seen that shirt. If you're in a graphic design, maybe we'll have a contest, t-shirt contest. But think about this image that Jesus is saying. What, what happens when you send a sheep in the midst of wolves? Not a wolf, wolves. What happens to the sheep? Class? Dead? Devoured, booed, destroyed. Well, but what if the sheep is really nice? Dead, devoured, food, destroyed, right? Same thing. 
And here's what Jesus says. He says, so be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. But even if you do that, what's going to happen? Most likely if you're a sheep and you're surrounded by wolves. Dead. Destroyed. Devoured. See, what we experience here, we think of as normal Christianity. But what they're experiencing there is actually what's normal. Every person we talked to talked about how they've had times when they've been spied on, when they've had to be careful about who they say, who, what they say, and to whom, because they're not sure who's listening. There were times in certain conversations where someone was like, hey, we need to not talk about that here. And it's not just paranoia, it's reality when you're a sheep among wolves. We walked around the city and was like, well, there's a place we'd love to meet, but they won't let us meet there. Well, there's a place we'd love to meet, well, they won't let us meet there. Well, there's a place we met, but then the owner got a little nervous and he didn't want to take the shame of having a Christian church upon his family, so we're not meeting there anymore. And here, over and over and over, unwelcomed, cautious, but wise. What do we expect? Jesus says this, verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant among, above his master. It is enough that the disciple to be like his, master, like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? How much more? Right, and, and here's the reality. We think we're in this normal thing, but we're just in this up to the right, safe Christianity where we've been honestly spoiled. And when you treat a kid, when you spoil them and you start to all of a sudden let them experience a little bit of pain, what do they do? Ah! They freak out. They throw a tantrum. And that's us. A little bit of persecution. A little bit of, you're not, you're not with it anymore. And we, we shrivel We have to expect to be marginalized and to be ready to suffer. Second thing we have to do if we're going to listen to the church that we are learning from is we have to live with integrity because who you are matters more than your strategy. We've got to live with integrity. We've got to be like Jesus. Jesus says that in verse 25. Here's what I want the disciple to be like his teacher, the servant like his master. It isn't going to change the fact that you're still going to be persecuted, but at least you're going to have integrity over and over, one of the things we heard in Turkey, people said, you know, well, this is a really low trust society. And I thought, where is there not a low trust society? Maybe Canada? Like you Canadians, a few of you are Canadians, you like leave your door open at night and, well, you know, don't you know? And, and good for you, man. I mean, like, great. But, but like, this is, this is a lower trust society that we're in. People go, what's your angle? What do you have to really, what are you really trying to do? What's your agenda? And, and, and what we saw was people who said, you know what, having all the right you know, keynote presentations and having all the right plans does not matter. What matters is people want to know, are you who you appear to be? So let me ask you, let me ask me, are we who we appear to be? The word integrity brings to mind the math word, an integer. It's a whole number. 
The word integrity also comes from pottery, where if there was a pot and you held it up into the light and it didn't have any cracks, it was whole, it had integrity. God's inviting us, God's calling us, if we're going to be a faithful missionary disciple people, sheep among wolves, to be people of integrity. Because when you have integrity and you keep loving people sacrificially, even in the midst of your suffering, at some point, some people, not many, but some start to go, I have some questions for you. Why, how do you keep doing this? What's really driving you? Tell me, tell me what, I see something different. And yet for us, no one is asking. Which makes us say, we gotta live with integrity. So we gotta expect to be marginalized. We gotta live with integrity. And then the third thing that we just saw over and over in these churches is people who were witnessing to Jesus in the power of the Spirit. We have to, as a faithful remnant of missionary disciples, witness to Jesus, tell people about Jesus, testify about Jesus in the power of the Spirit, not in our own strength, not in our own willpower, but remembering the grace of Christ, remembering that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, remembering that he found us at the bottom of that pit, and he said, like he said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth, and we went from death to life, and we've been made new, and we get to tell people about it. Do you know enough to believe the gospel? Do you have a story of death to life, of old to new? Do you have that story? Then tell that story. Every single Christian we met in the last two weeks became a Christian because someone else told them about Jesus. Now, in a few cases, God also used dreams, but God never used dreams apart from a testifier also. So this is what Jesus says in verse 18. He says, you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and to the Gentiles. When you go, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to say. That's okay. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say. Verse 20, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So this is what we gotta keep doing, gang, is we gotta keep sharing our story, we gotta keep sharing the gospel, we gotta keep inviting people to church. Uh, we were looking at the kind of results of the survey uh, that we did a couple weeks ago. We gave you all kind of a survey. One of the questions we asked was, uh, in the last 12 months, how many times have you invited someone to church who doesn't attend church anywhere? And almost 65% of you at, at said at least one. And so there's an inviting culture. If you are in the other percent, we invite you to get in on this, right? But we're coming up on Easter. There's opportunities to invite. There's opportunities to tell your story. There's opportunities to testify. Maybe we're still coasting off of some Christendom. Let's take advantage of it and talk about Jesus. I mentioned to you the guy that started the coffee shop. One of the most uh, encouraging and also convicting th things to me was he was telling us his story. And he said, you know, one of the things years ago, I made a goal was that I was gonna share the gospel a hundred times a week. What? Anyone ever made a goal like that? Like I've never said, I'm gonna share the gospel once a week. I've ne that's never been a goal. And you know what? You get what you aim at. 
And he talked about how before he was in Turkey, he was in another country that, where there was just a lot of movement of God's spirit happening. And so he, that was his goal. He shared the gospel 100 times a week with all kinds of different people in over two years. So think about that. A thousand, or, did I say a thousand times a week? hundred times a week. Okay. My brain's jet lag still, you know, hundred times a week times 52 weeks for two years. And he still only had 40 people come to faith, but 40 people came to faith. I mean, think about this. And so I was just sitting there going like, wow, I never, it never occurred to me that that could be a goal. I'm going to make that a goal, not a hundred a week. It's going to be, I'll start with one. What if you, what if we did that? Because here, here's what we saw, gang. If the church in these places doesn't tell people about Jesus, nobody hears about Jesus. And here's what I'm trying to say. The same thing's true for us. You have been sent to people that I haven't been sent to that he hasn't been sent to, that she hasn't been sent to. You've been sent to people to be a witness, to testify. And it's not in your hands, it's in the Lord's hands. It's not up to you to convince anybody, it's just up to you to bear witness. So we're to expect to be marginalized, we're to live with integrity, we're to witness to Jesus. But here's, remember this, even if we do it all the right way, we still might just get eaten. Why would we do that? I mean, I would think there's some of you that would just go, well, this is probably my last week at church. I don't need that. Why would we do it? Why would we endure that way? Why would we be willing to be destroyed? Because there was another one who was destroyed and he overcame the world. There was another one who was a sheep among wolves, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. And he's the one that was buried in a rich man's tomb, and he's the one that we'll look at next week that he's risen. He's risen indeed. And so listen, our whole life might be a life of pain and hardship and suffering until the end. We might never have in this lifetime the nice red bow that tells us it was all worth it. But here's why that's okay. Because life's not about this lifetime only. Everyone spends eternity somewhere. Let goods and kindred go. We sang in Wittenberg. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Let's pray. Lord, how we need you. God, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for our, your grace to this nation. Thank you for your grace to our church. God, we don't want to go through the motions. 
We don't want to just live for the world like everyone else and baptize it in Christianity. We want to be different. We want to be this remnant of faithful missionary disciples. Oh God, we need your grace. We love you. Amen. Amen.